And over the past few weeks, Jim and I have been talking about this, this idea of temple that runs throughout your Bible. And it, it's not just the building. I, I hope if there's anything you've noticed through this series that when we speak of temple, we're not talking about necessarily some structure. We're talking about dwelling in the presence of the Lord. It was there in the opening chapters of your Bible where Adam and Eve walked through the garden. And there God visited with them. God lived with them. It was there in the story of the Exodus as the people of God left Egypt and wandered out in the wilderness. and They came to Sinai and God built a tabernacle. He called them to build this tabernacle so that he could move in and live among them as they made this trip. It's there in 1 Kings when Solomon finally constructs this, this big, beautiful temple. Gold everywhere. And, and this dedication that is culminated in the, the feeling of the temple with God's glory. And all of this is, is God saying, I want to dwell in your presence. I want you to live in my presence. That's temple. That's what temple is supposed to be. And because the temple played such a huge role in the life of Israel, it was a big part of their national conversation and their religious conversation. Now, I told you to open to Jeremiah chapter 7, but put your finger there or borrow the finger of the person next to you, stick it in your Bible, and turn over to the book of Psalms chapter 46. I'll show you, this is a big part of their national conversation. It was... It was such a huge thought that it found its way into their songs that they sang. This is Psalm 46. This text has had special meaning this week to us as we celebrate the life of Caleb. Psalm 46 is an important text in the life of Israel. Just read with me the first few sections of this. Psalm 46 and verse 1. God is our refuge, our very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake at the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble in tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High God. God is in the midst of the city. It will not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Do you know what they mean when they make this statement that God is in the midst of the city? You know what they're talking about? The temple. That's what the temple was in Jerusalem. It was, it was that presence of God. You could look at it. You could see it shining for miles outside of Jerusalem. That temple glittered in the sunlight. And this psalmist sings this song in praise of what that temple represents. This isn't the only one. Turn your Bible over just two chapters. Psalm 48, verse 1. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the The city of the great king, within its citadels, God has shown himself a sure defense. 
Then the kings assembled. They came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there. Pains of a woman in labor. As when an east wind shatters the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen. In the city of the Lord of hosts. In the city of our God. Which God establishes forever. We ponder your steadfast love, O God. In the midst of your temple. Your name, O God, like your praise, reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with victory. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the towns of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. You see, the temple wasn't just some Sunday morning Bible series for them. The temple was the, was the center of their life. It was the center of their identity. It was, it was everything summed up in who they were. They sang about the temple. They talked about the temple. They told fascinating stories about the temple. One of their favorite is one that's told three times in Scripture. Almost word for word, the same story. It's found in 2 Kings 19, Isaiah 38. Second Chronicles 32, there was this time, a hundred years before Jeremiah showed up, a time when King Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrian army, came up against all other forces. And the king of Assyria destroyed the northern tribes, destroyed the northern section of Israel, and began to close in on Jerusalem itself and the temple. And this, this frightful king, Sennacherib, was 24 miles outside of Jerusalem in this area of Lachish, an area built to kind of buffer anyone from attacking the, the temple in Jerusalem. Hezekiah prayed to God. Nothing looked like it could happen. Everything was stacked against them. And God, in one night, killed 181,000 soldiers. And he spared his temple. You might get an understanding of why the people of Jeremiah's day thought highly of the temple of God. Why they sang about it. Why they prayed about it. Why they, why they took faith in the temple. God would not let this place be destroyed. But when you open your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 7, you meet a young upstart preacher who has a different idea about the temple. We often say there's a fine line between courage and crazy, and it appears in Jeremiah chapter 7 that Jeremiah dances precariously on that line. We also say in real estate, the secret to selling is three things. You know what these are. Location. 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 It turns out the same is true for a sermon. The impact of a sermon is oftentimes boiled down to three things. Location, location, location. In Jeremiah chapter 7, God sends Jeremiah not to the backwoods of Judah. Not to the tucked away portion of some hill. He says, Jeremiah, I want you to go and I want you to stand in the gate of the temple. And I want you to preach a sermon. It is a rather short sermon. As sermons tend to go. 
when nobody agrees. I had a friend who was invited to preach at a church. He said, where I preach, they don't respond very much. They don't give you much response. You say what you got to say, you end your sermon, and that's it. He was invited to, church, to preach at a church across town. He said, I took the same sermon and preached it. At my home church, it was about a 20-minute sermon. In this church, when they offered amens, the same sermon was an hour and a half long. Now watch and see how many amens I get this morning. <laughs> see, you're just playing with me now. What Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 7 does not go over well. Because if you take all of the theology of the temple and all that they believed about the temple, Jeremiah shows up with a slightly different sounding message. Jeremiah has the audacity to suggest in verse 3 that God doesn't live here. Now, subtle, but look at the wording. If you change your ways, then I will dwell among you. What? No, Jeremiah, I'm sorry. God is already here. Read your history book, Jeremiah. God defended this city. Don't tell me God doesn't live here. When Sennacherib came against it, God didn't let it fall. Read Psalms, Jeremiah. The Lord is in the midst. Jeremiah says God doesn't live here. Jeremiah suggests in verse 4 that there's something wrong with placing your trust in the temple. You find this phrase, Jeremiah says, you trust in these lying words, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Jeremiah says, I wouldn't put my faith in that. That phrase doesn't do you any good. Jeremiah, I'm sorry. Go back and read your history book. Remember Sennacherib? Go back and read Psalm 46 and 48. God dwells in the temple. You don't know what you're talking about, Jeremiah. And then... The most audacious comment of all, Jeremiah suggests in verse 14, God will destroy this place. Is he out of his mind? I mean, have you ever listened to a preacher preach and you thought this guy has lost his mind? He doesn't have a clue what he's talking about? That's a rhetorical question. I don't expect any response at the end of this sermon. That's the appearance of Jeremiah. Everything they had come to believe, every time, everything they thought, what they spoke about, what they sung about, and this young upstart preacher shows up in the gates of the temple, no less, and he says, you're all terribly mistaken. God does not live in this temple. God will destroy this place. It takes nerve to preach a sermon like that. In that place. But might I suggest that this young preacher deserves a hearing. That maybe he's on to something here. Because what Jeremiah begins to do is walk them through the reason they shouldn't trust in this temple. And walk them through the reason God no longer lives in this place. And call them to a drastic change in how they live. First, Jeremiah says, you have forgotten that this temple belongs to God and not you. Listen to his wording of this. Verse 17. 
Jeremiah says, Do you not see what they're doing in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the father kindles fire, the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven, and they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. This is God's house. You can't do that there. Verse 9, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, go after other gods that you've not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say we are safe? This is where I live. This is where God dwells. This temple does not belong to the king. This temple does not belong to the priesthood. This temple does not belong to the people. This house, which is called by my name. And if you live in my house, you live by my rules. Anybody ever been told that by your father? This temple is not some political plaything. This temple is not something for your personal gain. This temple is the house of the Lord. And you cannot do with this what you want to do with it. You cannot use this the way you want to use this. This is the temple of the Lord. They've forgotten that somehow. Just as we sometimes forget that this is the church of Jesus Christ. Not Jim Baird, Jeremy Beller, or the elders of Wilshire. It is the church of Jesus Christ. It belongs to God. It is His dwelling place. It is not for my personal gain. Jeremiah says, you realize, when you began to claim this as your own, and you began to bring in other gods, God moved out. There's a whole other prophet that dedicates the beginning of his book to that concept, Ezekiel. It's a weird book, I'll admit. But one of the things about Ezekiel is this image of God's glory is slowly making its way out of the temple. It was Ezekiel's way of making the same point Jeremiah makes. God no longer dwells in this place because you've forgotten it's his house, not yours. And Jeremiah also makes another point, a good point. When he says, you have forgotten that this temple is a call to holiness. Did you see this list of things that Jeremiah says they're guilty of? Verse 5 or 6. You oppress the alien, the orphan, the widow. You shed innocent blood. You go after other gods. He says in verse 8, That you're guilty of stealing, murder, adultery, false witness, idolatry. It gets even worse. This isn't part of the sermon, but it's part of God's conversation with Jeremiah here in in verse 30. God says, For the people of Judah have done evil in my sight. They have set their abominations in the house that is called by my name. They go on building high places to the Topheth which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their children and their daughters in fire, which I didn't command, nor did ever cross my mind. You see what's happening? These people, these people have bought in 
to the idea of separation of church and state. They put it that way. We might say temple and state. They've been told that their lives outside the temple are completely compartmentalized by the life they live in the temple. They've been told there's a difference, a distinction, a wall of separation between temple and state, between temple and business, between temple and relationship, temple and classroom, temple and home. What you do in those parts of your life, you do for whatever reason you want and whatever you need to get ahead. But when you come to the temple, that's when your faith can be part of your life. They've bought into the lie that says that nothing outside of these walls should have anything to do with what we do inside of these walls. That how you do your business, that how you live your life, that how you conduct your marriage, that how you raise your children, the way you speak with your friends, the movies you see, the places you go, the people with... That's all different from what you do at church. It's fine to be religious. It's fine to sing your songs and pray your prayers as long as you do it in the temple. But don't bring that temple stuff into your life. And somehow, for some reason, they've bought into the lie. The temple cannot change how they live. Unless they understand what's happening in the temple. Proper worship does not make up for improper living. You cannot, God says through Jeremiah, you cannot live whatever life you want to live out there and then slide into the temple and say it's the temple of the Lord. I've come to the temple of the Lord. You cannot conduct your business as if God doesn't exist and then show up and worship God claiming he does exist. You cannot treat your neighbor as if God doesn't care and then show up to worship God as if he does. Jeremiah says, when you do that, God doesn't live in this place. They had forgotten that the temple was meant to be a blessing to their lives and to others. Again, listen to Jeremiah Verse 7, Jeremiah says, I'll dwell with you in this place, in the land that I gave of old to you and your ancestors forever and ever. The dwelling of God is meant to bless them. That's why at the end of verse 6, he says, you've gone out, you've gone after other gods that have hurt you. Jim made an excellent point of this a few weeks ago. It's not that idolatry somehow threatens God. It's not that God somehow feels threatened when people worship other gods or don't worship Him. He's, God's not threatened by that. But God knows that chasing after such thing is to our own hurt. It's meant to be a blessing, the presence of God, the temple of God. And Jeremiah says that you've forgotten that's what the temple is supposed to be. And because they had not allowed it to be a blessing to them, 
they were in turn not a blessing to people around them. Look at this list again. They're oppressing the aliens. They're oppressing the orphans. They're oppressing the widow. They're shedding innocent blood. They're stealing. They're murdering. They're committing adultery. They're swearing falsely. They're offering their own children on an altar to a strange and foreign God. It is somewhat ironic, though, that at least they saw their children as a blessing that might bring their life blessing. They saw them as a tool, but at least they allowed their children to be born, even if they in turn sacrificed them to an unknown God. We live in a country that too often does not even want our children to be born because they're inconvenient. Jeremiah says, don't you dare live without being a blessing to others and then slide into this temple and expect God will be a blessing to you? God does not work that way. And this temple does not work that way. If this temple is only a place for you to come and try to seek cover for a life that you've completely ran away from God, then it's nothing more than walls and a floor. Jeremiah uses this term that's very interesting, this phrase. He said that it has become a den of robbers. Have you ever heard that before? Of course you have. Jesus quotes this text in Matthew chapter 21. A den of robbers. You realize a den of robbers is not where robbers actually commit the crime? A den of robbers is where the the crooks come back to count their loot. It's where they come back to make their plans. And Jeremiah said, you've made the temple that sort of place. You live that life out there, and then you show up here to plan to get away with it again. Jeremiah says they've forgotten something else. They've forgotten their history. You think... Jeremiah says, you think you can sing those songs like Psalm 46 and 48, that the Lord dwells in the midst of her. The Lord will not allow her to be shaken. And you think you can tell your story about Sennacherib sparing Jerusalem and the temple. And you think that gives you permission to live that life and get away with it? You ever heard of a place called Shiloh? Jeremiah's family knew all about Shiloh. They were, they were kind of refugees in the area of Anathoth. Their family, his priestly family, had been driven out after the collapse of Shiloh. You can read the story of Shiloh in your own Bible, 1 Samuel chapters 1 through 4. Shiloh used to be the place where God's name was. It used to be the place where the tabernacle was. People came to offer sacrifice to meet God there. It was also the place where the priest had no regard for God. It was a place where Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, had no regard for God. In fact, the Bible says, the Bible says, they were worthless children. That's one thing when people claim that about other people's children. But when the Lord claims that about 
the priest's children. That's not a good thing. The priest had no regard for God. They took advantage of the people. Shiloh, the home of God. They even thought from Shiloh, if you read 1 Samuel 4, when they went out to battle, they were battling against the Philistines, and they were losing the battle, they think, we've got an idea. Let's go back and get our magic box, the Ark of the Covenant. And let's manipulate God and bring him into war. And surely if we have our magic box there, we'll immediately win the war. But the problem is it's not a magic box. And you cannot manipulate God. Jeremiah says, if you go back and read your history book, you'll find out God destroyed Shiloh. You think God won't leave a place he once dwelt? Check again. You think God doesn't care about how you live? Check again. This young upstart of a preacher has had the audacity to stand in the holy place of the city. To point to these walls that are supposed to be their sanctuary and their life. And he's told them it's all for nothing. It's easy to get comfortable and complacent with the temple. It's there in their backyard. It's their constant reminder of God's presence among them. After all, God had made some amazing promises to dwell among us. And He's done some amazing things in the past to suggest that He does care. The problem is, Jeremiah pointed out, their faith was misplaced. They trusted in the temple instead of the God who promised to dwell in the temple. They trusted in their ritual instead of the God to whom their rituals pointed. It's easy to think we've got God right where we want Him. Right there in the church building on Sunday. Where we'll We'll make the occasional visit. We'll drop in and see how God's doing on Sunday. We'll see if, if anything has changed since last week. We'll give our money. We'll take communion. We'll say our prayers. We'll listen to the preacher drone on and on and on. And we'll call it good. And then we'll get in our car and we'll go out and we'll live our life the rest of the week. We'll do the business still. We'll make that extra money. We'll do whatever we got to do to get ahead. And then, don't worry, because next Sunday... God will still be there waiting in the church building. Besides, God is gracious and wants us to be happy. If we're not careful, we risk falling into the same trap for the people of Jeremiah as they did. It's easy to fall into the trap that this is the church of Christ. The church of Christ. The church of Christ. We worship the right way. We take our communion every week. We have the right form of church organization. As long as we have that, what else matters? You live your life how you want, but as long as you go to the church of Christ, you'll be fine. It doesn't work that way. Brothers and sisters, God desperately wants to dwell in our midst. He wants to dwell in this place. Just as He promised our ancestors. But if God is going to move here and live here, this neighborhood has to look different. If God is going to dwell in our midst, 
then we must be his people. And this must be his house with his name and his covenant. You read the rest of Jeremiah and it might not surprise you to find out this sermon didn't go over well. People don't take kindly when you question their traditions, when you question their ritual. But this sermon of Jeremiah's is a sermon meant to be hopeful. If you amend your ways, I'll dwell with you. That's what God wanted. That's what God was seeking. If you change your ways, I'll be right there in your midst. How would you like to dwell in the presence of the Lord? Not just on Sundays when we gather here together in this place and sing these songs, but tomorrow when you go to work, tonight when you go home. What would it look like if God lived right there beside you? And if you dwelt in His presence, that's what Jeremiah is calling them to have. And when he does, it will bring blessing. We want to offer you the invitation this morning to anyone who wishes to dwell in the presence of the Lord. You see, God's dwelling is not confined to a structure. God's bigger than that. We'll learn that in the New Testament. But if God is going to live with us, we've got to live our lives for Him. You can do that this morning by trusting in Jesus Christ with all of your heart, giving your life to Him in baptism and giving your life to Him in every decision and thought you have. If that's your desire this morning, we want to encourage you to respond while we stand and while we sing.